The following program is being brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews is brought to you by Spirituality and Health Magazine, the Soul Body Connection. Visit SpiritualityHealth.com today. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living. You know, today is a day in which we chat, we are facing challenge and change in a convoluted and complex battle with deep resistance to change. At the same time that we're voting in a house chock full of Republicans who have typically been against the whole gay lesbian issue, we also elected more openly gay and lesbian candidates to office, 164, than any other time in history. Simultaneously, the nation has been rocked by teen suicides based on bullying because these teens either were gay or were perceived to be gay. Joel Burns, the openly gay Fort Worth, Texas city councilman whose passionate plea to gay and lesbian teens to hang on, not let the bullies take their desire to live from them, went viral with millions of people standing up in support of his plea. Two days ago, Portia de Rossi informed the world on the Oprah show that her eating disorder, because of which she came to the brink of death, was in large part caused by her fear of coming out to an unaccepting world, a fear that created tremendous self-loathing. And yesterday, Ricky Martin appeared on the Oprah show to talk about his latest book, Me, in which he tells the story of his own coming out process, giving us all an in-depth view of the shame that gays and lesbians carry because they live in a world in which they are taught that they are wrong to be who they are. Many parents are still literally kicking their children out of their homes because they are gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgendered. We're literally telling our children that we'd rather they die than tell us who they really are. And since this show is all about authentic living, and I feel such tremendous passion about this issue, I've invited one of the first openly gay members of the American Psychological Association and the author of the world-rocking book, Loving Someone Gay, to speak with us all today about this issue. A practicing psychologist for many years, Don Clark worried at one point in his career that he would lose his license to practice based on the notion that moral turpitude words that are used by boards across the world, call that practitioner and the practice into question. But he decided that his best defense was a good offense, so he wrote the book Loving Someone Gay and began to speak openly about gay and lesbian issues. Don's own coming out process, including divorcing his wife of several, of several years and the loss of several close alliances to the ravages of AIDS, But he continued his career and has recently retired from the practice of psychotherapy, though he continues to write, having recently also written his memoir entitled Someone Gay. Welcome, Don. I'm so glad that you've come to talk with us today. Thanks, Andrea. I'm very happy to be here with you today. 
Oh, yeah, and you've got so much to share with us, so we're just going to jump right in there. You know, yesterday, uh, as Ricky Martin told us, his coming out was, for him, a spiritual journey. Would you agree with that? That uh, I would absolutely agree with that. I I really, I don't, I you know, <laughs> I'm tra- uh, caught off guard there. I can't imagine, I can't begin to count up how many gay people I have known so far in my life, professionally and personally, and I cannot think of one for whom the coming out process was less than a spiritual experience. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. is, it is life-changing and unbelievably to most people, but believably to gay people, an amazing affirmational experience. Yeah. And one of the things he said on there that I was uh, so impressed with was how relieved he was when he, after he pushed the send button, he sent out that email uh, <laughs> coming out, and he pushed the send button and felt this enormous relief that brought him to tears Yep. because he was just so set free by that whole thing. I know the feeling. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So, okay, and then Portia de Rossi talked about the fear and shame attached to being and then coming out as a lesbian, uh, and uh, I know you're very familiar with that as well. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that's what we. <clears throat> that is what we call internalized homophobia, and it is one of the deadliest uh, psychological viruses that people can have. Um, maybe a quick uh, thumbnail sketch of how that happens. Remember that uh, all of us who are gay, lesbians, gays, gay men, lesbians, were once little children. And when we were little children, we were our gayness was invisible. We were taking the word, <clears throat> taking the word of our parents and other adults around us as to what was <clears throat> right and wrong, good and bad. And we weren't hearing very many good things about gay people. Still not for most. Uh, adults, unfortunately. And so, therefore, as these feelings come more and more to the surface in the child or young adult, you know you must be wrong. And you have to make some kind of adaptation to that. You have to explain it to yourself somehow. Why is, why is what's going on inside of me so true and yet so invalid, so wrong? And we begin to think of ourselves as bad people. Thus, when finally, uh, just to make a jump over the um, process, when, it finally, when you're finally able to get to the point of coming out, the, that lingers in there, that sense of shame. The shame is because you feel like you're wrong or bad or you've done something wrong. And what a terrible thing that is to do to children, to have them growing up invisibly, silently, without any support around them. Imagine how lonely that is for a child and for them to be developing this sense that they are bad or wrong, which haunts them as adults. It's the hardest thing to get free of later as an adult. It takes years and years. I'm sure that Ricky Martin is still struggling with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as well as Portia de Rossi and lots right. of other people. It, it is... It is um... It, it becomes a core part of your identity, does it not? That shame that says, and, and it's interesting, uh, you know, you and I are both in the mental health field, so we know that the definition of guilt is you have, feel bad about having done something wrong, and the definition right. of shame is you are something wrong. Right. 
Exactly. Yeah, so there is no guilt. I mean, there's not, you haven't done anything wrong. There's not anything to feel guilty about, and yet you feel wrong because well, you are who you are. The, the child is apt to feel guilty it's yeah. because that's an easy, you know, how, how do you explain it to yourself as a child? Mm-hmm. How can you be having these feelings that are so wrong? It must be that you're a bad person. Right. In in your memoir, Someone Gay, you tell the poignant story of your own up early br- upbringing in a family where you were the last child, unwanted by your parents and raised in poverty, which was already a formula for shame and self-loathing. But on top of that, at the age of four, you began to feel the first inklings of awareness that you were gay, and you knew, you just knew that this was wrong. And your question at that in the book was, how do we teach children such taboos so early in life without ever using the words? And I think that's a, a very, very important question. So do you have any answers for that question now? It, well, again, it's because I hope that it's changing for at least some children in some parts of the world. But the fact that children are watching and listening all the time, all the time, that's how they learn how, how to be and who to be. They're watching and listening, and every little joke, snicker, or declarative sentence about somebody being gay, a fag, a dyke, whatever, they get it. They look at their, they look to the eyes of their parents, their teachers, whoever else is around, and and that apparently, from what they can see, is what's right and true, and what and and that is that information is tucked away to become a part of your knowledge of the world, and when you begin to realize that you're having those feelings, obviously, it must be bad. And I, again, in my practice, 50 years, mind you, doing this, uh, the number of lesbians and gay men with whom I have spoken, uh, it, it usually happens earlier for, by and large, for what a generalization is worth, usually happens earlier for males than for females, but when that moment comes, not unusual for a male like myself to have that come at age four, uh, you're off to a running start because the feeling, there's no denying the feeling. There's no denying what you do feel. And yet, in in my accumulated four years of life so far, I knew, I don't remember anybody particularly telling me that was bad or wrong, but I knew that that was bad and wrong and that I was going to be in trouble if I did anything to act on it. Right, right. So it became, so if you, if you are that very thing that's wrong, then what do you do with that? How does, a, how does children typically cope with that feeling of wrongness? Uh, well, many, many ways, but <clears throat> mostly I think the most common and uh, and by the way, I would still recommend it to children. <laughs> Most common is to keep your head down and stay out of trouble, not let people know. Mm-hmm. Because if you let people know, chances are in most parts of the world, including our part of the world here in the United States, you're in trouble. You know, a first grader is not going to walk up to his, in his six-year-old age, walk up to his teacher or a counselor or his parents and say, I'm gay. You might, but they wouldn't. Either they wouldn't take it seriously, or if they, they're they're not going to respond positively. Right. They're not going to say, "Wow, that's great. That's you know wonderful." 
Wouldn't it be great if we all knew who we were, our were at that age? <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if we could all? <laughs> Wouldn't it be that? great if we could stop doing categories? Absolutely, absolutely. Wouldn't it be absolutely. great if each child could just get to be that person, <clears throat> whoever he or she is? Yep, exactly. And the idea of differentness wouldn't even exist. Yeah, we love categories. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, it gives us great. a sense of power. Yep, yep. And, you know, you said something there that's really interesting, and I'm not sure we're going to have time to really field it well before the break, but we'll come back to it if we don't. So let's go ahead and start on it. Um, well, no, we don't. So <laughs> we won't go ahead and start on it. We'll, we'll wait till after the break. We're going to talk a little bit about what you said about, um, you know, kids ducking and, and just kind of yes. keeping that quiet. We're going to talk a little bit more about that after the break. So okay. stay tuned for more Authentic Living and Don Clark. for a transforming world. 7th Wave Network. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Tired of the government squandering your tax dollars on bailouts and overpaid bureaucrats? On Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Mike Beitler and his guests explain why big government regulations are the problem and innovative businesses and free markets are the solution. Listen to Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. When I found out my jeans were made using child labor and sweatshops, I wrote a letter to the company saying, reconsider your labor practices. A few months later, I get a letter back saying, thanks for being a loyal customer, and they included a coupon for a 25% discount on their jeans. So I got smart, wrote letters every day to all the stores that carry the brand, asking them to stop supporting the companies who use child labor and sweatshops. And I just kept getting letters back, thanking me for my concerns, and more coupons for more discounts on more jeans. So I'm telling my friend about it, and she flips out, saying that between all the letters and coupons, some paper company cut down a small forest, driving off two indigenous tribes, hundreds of endangered animals, killing thousands of plant species, some of which may have contained vaccines for HIV, cancer, and syphilis. Meanwhile, the guys cutting down the trees are 13-year-old kids who work night and day for months just to save up enough money to buy a pair of jeans made by child labor in sweatshops. Saving the world isn't easy, but saving a life is. Just one pint of blood can save up to three lives. Visit bloodsaves.com to learn more. This public service announcement was brought to you by the Ad Council. Listening on a higher dimension. Seventh Wave Network. Listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1 866 472 5795. That's 1 866 472 5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at AndreaMatthewsLPC.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. 
And we're back talking today with Don Clark about the uh, entire issue of bullying and uh, GLBT issues in general. And by GLBT, those of you who don't know, that's gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender. They reduced it to four little letters to make it a whole lot easier to say. Um, before the break, uh, you mentioned, Don, that there was uh, that that you recommended that kids who were um, who were gay, unfortunately, still do have to duck some and have to be able to sort of keep that quiet, and that's a very good coping mechanism for kids. I also am very aware that bullies are trying to force kids to come on out so that they can shame them. Rather, they're almost psychologically raping them uh, through some kind of exposure of their sexual orientation without their permission and forcing them into shame in that way. Uh, On the other hand, some of these same kids are getting uh, the other message, that is, if the world is going to change, it will be because gays and lesbians come out. So can you speak some to that confusing message they're getting? And that's true. Uh, The way the world is changing has changed enormously in the past 10 and 20 years and is continuing to change because gay and lesbian people are coming out more and more. This has been going on since the AIDS epidemic first began. Uh, so that's true, but it's true for adults. It's true for people who who uh, are standing on their own two feet, can support themselves, and have a an easier say about what happens to them. Uh, they may still adults may still be <laughs> punished at work or in other relationships, but they are responsible for their own lives. They can take care of themselves, hopefully. Children cannot. Children are, by definition, dependent. And they cannot, they are not the ones. We don't need to, we do not need to be carried on their shoulders to get to where we are going, which is equal rights. They need to take care of themselves to stay alive, stay well. The bullying is um, harder now than it's ever been from all that I've read and talked to some people. But um, it's it's good times, bad times. You know, they are the children now are more likely to be able to see on television or wherever examples of other gay people, so they are less likely to feel absolutely alone, which they did before. They are, my message to them would be, however, don't feel you have to rush out and take the cause on your shoulders until you are able to stand on your own two feet and take care of yourself as an adult. Young adults are changing the world, but, you know, hang on, wait till you're there, because if the, if the bullies start to make life miserable for them, there's nothing they can do about it, really. What I, when I, I worked as a school psychologist also early in my career, and bullying came up, which it always does and has with children, and my bottom line advice to the child, there were, it was a different matter with the parents, but my advice to the child was, if what, the question is what to do if a bully takes you on, on the school grounds or in the halls of the school or whatnot. And my standard advice, especially the younger the child, was try to see if there is a responsible adult around somewhere to whom you can go and tell them what's happening. If you can't get the attention 
of a responsible adult, adult. And parenthetically, we all know that some of them are less responsible than they should be, but be that as it may, if you cannot get the attention of a responsible adult, leave the space you're in by any means possible, if you can. Uh, don't antagonize the person who is bullying you. Get out of there as safely as possible. The whole idea is to stay alive and well. You know, bullies, it's, it's the same for nations or for adults, but it's, children are especially vulnerable, and they need, to, they need to, if they need to pretend they're not gay, fine. If they, whatever they need to do, fine until they get to the point where they are standing on their own two feet as responsible adults, then we need your help. Then the world needs your help, not just gay people, but the world needs your help in order to become a better world. But you have to live to get to that point. Do not take on a moral obligation when you're a kid. Very well said. Thank you. Thank you very much for saying that. That's really good. And I really think that's true. I think we have to you know, uh, be be sure to counsel children according to their status as children, not as, right. as if they were adults. And, you know, you mentioned in um, Loving Someone Gay that uh, gays and lesbians and uh, bisexuals and transgendered persons uh, get scapegoated um, in the way that uh, a society always seeks a scapegoat for, you know, we, need, we, need, we, don't, we don't have to look at ourselves, so let's throw this off on the scapegoat. And if adults get scapegoated, then children get scapegoated all the more. So we want to really protect our children uh, as best we can. And of course, we haven't even talked yet about the bully himself or herself and what that's all about. But uh, and we sometimes, will... you know, not I don't want to be doing the scapegoating, but sometimes we have to admit the bully is himself dealing with homosexual feelings mm-hmm. and trying to deflect attention from it. Right. And that's true for adults also. Sometimes the worst adult bullies who are the most vehement anti-gay... Well, we've seen a couple of them in recent history in the headlines. Absolutely. Uh, the, the, worst, the worst offenders, the worst oppressors uh, turn out to have been heavily dealing with their own homosexual feelings, not able to accept them and not wanting the world to see them. Yeah, right. So let's let's go there. Let's talk a little bit about homophobia in general. Uh, what is homophobia? Some people are we've we've used that term. It's become politically correct, but I'm not sure everybody really understands what homophobia yeah. really is. Okay. Well, the word itself, by the way, came from a book um, written. It was one of the first uh, gay-oriented or gay-focused books that came out. I think it was sometime around 1972, if I'm remembering. George Wein. Weinberger um, wrote a book called Society and the Healthy Homosexual, uh, which was very helpful. Uh, <laughs> as uh, he was, he could do that because he was not gay himself. <laughs> yeah. If he had been known, if if he had been a gay person, he wouldn't have had a chance <laughs> in the world of publishing that book. But and his background as a psychologist, was, uh, psychologist, I believe, was largely a statistician, but. Bless his heart, he wanted to tell some truth, and he told the truth, which we had enough evidence by then. We had started accumulating that evidence, by the way, in 1948 with Kinsey's book on human sexuality. The truth being that sexuality is sexuality. You know, it only becomes pathological when you're doing something bad with it. It's not uh, people are either attracted a lot to 
uh, a lot in the heterosexual direction, a lot in the homosexual direction, or a little bit, or a mixture, or whatever. It really, it really doesn't matter. So, the noun homosexual. Uh, this is another little wrinkle in the way these prejudices develop. Uh, the word homosexual is really an adjective and not, or or, or an adverb, uh, but not a noun. There is no such thing as a homosexual, though that is the way the language is used currently, sometimes. Um, I'm getting lost in my own tangled <laughs> rhetoric here. But the um, homophobia is a fear of homosexuality or a fear of homosexual people. And it is a phobia like any other phobia. That is to say, uh, almost all of us have a built-in a couple of built-in phobias that have developed over the millennia. One is um, snakes and the other is heights. We tend to have a fear of heights and a fear of snakes. So if you, it's so bad for, for some people that if they see a picture of a snake in a book, they recoil from it. Well, you know, that, there, was re, there were reasons that those, um, that those built-in phobic responses came through the millennia, and that was that snakes and great heights from which you could fall were dangerous. So, unfortunately, people develop other phobias, things which they are very afraid of and which stop them in their tracks and which they they have to respond to, if at all, in a negative, uh, forceful, against way. And this is... this has been true for homosexuality in societies where it is forbidden or banned or looked down on. So if you happen to find out this was hopefully the old days, not so much now, but if you found out that someone was homosexually inclined, you had a negative reaction, a stay away from this person, run from this person, uh, watch out, this person may harm me, Heaven knows what. <laughs> Watch out, I may catch it. <laughs> I don't know what, but to to have an automatic negative response, uh, that is homophobia. Right, right. Okay, so, um, it, and it works in ways that demonstrate themselves through behavior, like, um, you know, if, if somebody uses avoidance or if they use bullying or they use uh, pejorative terms or they, they make jokes or all of that, all of that can come down to some form, mild or uh, severe, of homophobia. Yes, people. Uh, <clears throat> um, I can, again cannot tell you how many uh, sorrowful parents, brothers, sisters, etc. that I have run into over the years who were uh, perfectly following the norms of their culture, only to find out that someone in their family or someone they love is gay when the disclosure is made, when that person comes out, and they realize how much, how many, many, many times they have injured that person over the years with a thoughtless homophobic reaction to something that happened, not even what their loved one is saying to them, but something that happens in the world around them. And that remark is a wound to the person they love. All right, well, we're going to be talking some more about this when we come back right after the break. Stay tuned for more from Don Clark. 
awakened media for a transforming world. Seventh Wave Network. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. Drawing on resources from wellness communities throughout America and abroad, the show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Awakened media for a transforming world. Seventh Wave Network. listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back today talking again with Don Clark, and this show is sponsored by Spirituality and Health Magazine, The Soul Body Connection, one of America's most prestigious spiritual magazines, publishes six times a year and offers an amazing array of information for the seeker both in print and online. Check them out at www.spiritualityhealth.com. And, uh, you know, Don, I want to ask you about this. We... uh, uh, you have been a very brave person and have uh, been somebody who has opened the doors of communication about this issue for many other people. And, I, you know, I just want to sort of give you that. You quoted in your book, I'm going to read a quote from uh, your book, uh, Someone Gay. I'm a man who has spent most of my life experiencing, then investigating, then understanding, and finally learning how to overcome feelings of shame, failure, guilt, and fear. So my question is, why did you decide to defy medical, psychological, legal, and religious establishments to write Loving Someone Gay in the mid-1970s when the notion of being gay was just not talked about? Hmm. Well, um, I was was mentioning to you during the break that I had been a college professor at uh, Hunter College in New York City and then subsequently at the uh, companion campus in the Bronx, 
Uh, I have, was married. I had two children. Um, it was a good life, and I, I did love my wife. I certainly loved my children. I adored them. Uh, and uh, I certainly not a life I wanted to uh, interrupt. However, um, it was partly... I was doing a lot of work with the uh, Human Potential Movement at the time, a lot of which was on the West Coast which opened up a lot for me of understanding myself. And I would say I have to lay the blame, if it could be called blame, at the feet of my <laughs> little children at the time. They were, they were very, very young. Uh, because I wanted them to have a good life. And, and thinking about that, I wanted them to be good people. I wanted them to have a good life. And I, wanted, I thought, well, you know, that means a lot of things. But at, at the root, it means truth. It means being a truthful person and living your life truthfully. And I knew I had these feelings inside of me, and I thought, okay, here we go. You know, if I have to explore this and find out what it's about in myself, uh, how it needs to manifest itself in my life, etc. And I did, and that led to um, that led to leaving uh, New York and returning to California, where I had done my internship and setting up a private practice designed to help to work with gay people, their families, and friends. In the process of that, within the first years of that, um, I learned a lot not only about gay people but about myself as a gay person. One day it occurred to me, I mean, it happened just like that. One day it occurred to me there was nothing, no no professional person, no psychologist, psychiatrist, social worker, no mental health person was saying anything positive about gay identity or about how to be gay or how to get throw off the pathology that accumulates around you. No one, and I thought, I probably know as much about this as anyone else. So I sat down to write the book. Uh, I wrote it very quickly. It came right out of my soul. Um, I, it's now five editions later, but um, had a terrible time getting it published. I was a writer. I had an agent. Every publishing house she contacted turned it down. But when it, I just, I knew I had to do that. I had a moral responsibility to do that. I went to a college called Antioch in Yellow Springs, Ohio. Horace Mann was the founder. The one motto, uh, the statue of him on campus, the motto was, be ashamed to die until you have won some victory for humanity. And I thought, well, here it is. This is my moral responsibility. The only people, there were people making their living, especially psychoanalysts at the time, making their living by convincing gay people that they were sick. And that, what that, Today, we see it more easily. That was just so wrong. I could not do something to address that that wrong. So that's a long-winded, but believe it or not, abbreviated answer to your question. I'm sure it is abbreviated. You're talking about a whole lifetime here. Um, yeah, absolutely. And it is so, it is so I experience as a, a gay-friendly, gay-identified uh, therapist, I am constantly hearing stories from my clients who've been to other therapists who tell me these horrendous tales about what they're told from the other therapist that, you know, um, 
they have to stop doing that. That's one of them. You just have to stop doing that. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, for all the way from, from there to, uh, you know, you just need to go home and have fantasies about men and you will not be gay anymore. Well, I would say that person is, you know, certainly does not deserve to have a license. Thank and... you. Thank you very much. And, I, you know, I attended a workshop not long ago where there was almost 200 people there and they were talking about the ethics of, you know, treating supportive therapy for gays and lesbians and bisexuals and transgender persons. And so many people in the audience who attended the workshop, which is a curious thing in the first place that they attended the workshop, but they attended the workshop, but they were totally closed down to the idea of treating gays and lesbians in any other way except for, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. Well, those people are poorly trained mm-hmm. at the very least, and they're probably, uh, as part of their lack of learning, they are probably uh, dumb enough to think that it is a choice, mm-hmm. which a lot of the uh, people in the world still cling to that belief. You know, well, why don't you just not do that? Uh, since it's so hard, even sometimes when a person goes through all the labor of coming out to family and friends, uh, the people closest will sometimes say, well, you know, it's so hard being gay. You're going to run into so much trouble. So many potentially bad things are going to happen. Why don't you just not do it? Well, it's not a choice. It's not doing the things that you do in life are a choice. You can choose whether or not to have sex with another person. That's a choice. You cannot choose who you are. You cannot choose the inner truth about your identity. You simply cannot. It's not a choice. And if I could get in, in training therapists, that is the first thing I confront with them, that, you know, let's figure out what in the world is a choice for your client and what is not. And an awful lot of what brings clients into therapy is not a matter of choice. And this one in particular, when it comes to gay clients, it's not at all a choice. It's who they are. Now, as a therapist, you need to start, you need to be able to wholeheartedly start with an appreciation and a positive appreciation of what that person has gone through, endured to be able to tell this truth, that that's who they are. That is enormous. And one way or another, they need to be thanked for doing that. They need to be supported in being who they are. You, they need to hear appreciative things said about homosexual identity, theirs and in general. And if, I say to a therapist in training, if you have any qualms about anything having to do with this, if you imagine a homosexual sexual act, and it makes you feel uncomfortable, you are not in an ethically sound position attempting to treat a gay person. You're simply not. You haven't dealt with this thing inside yourself yet. You still have homophobia. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And because suicidality is such a common theme among GLBTs in in, in Just about, well, I won't say every, but many times I hear the story of of 
somebody becoming suicidal or at least having suicidal ideations during the process of coming out to themselves only, just to themselves, not to anybody else. You know, it it behooves therapists and healers all over the world to develop their own acceptance of this because it is so, I mean, uh, you take a person who's already suicidal, bring them to therapy, and the therapist tells them they're wrong too? Yeah. They, I mean, again, the therapist, therapists, while they're learning to be therapists, or as soon as soon as possible, they need to be able to feel good about homosexuality. If they can't feel good about it, they just have no business treating people who are gay. Mm-hmm. They need to do something else. Refer at least, at the very least, refer and get some more training. At the very least, at the very least. But they need to begin by admitting to themselves that they have an impairment. They can't do this. They, they don't uh, appreciate what it feels like to be a gay person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, suicides <clears throat> are not a new. Uh, one, I think it must have been in probably the first couple of editions of Loving Someone Gay. <clears throat> I used to talk about the, uh, the perfect... The perfect son or daughter who got terrific grades on the football team, whatever, who one day went to the Golden Gate Bridge here in San Francisco or uh, wherever and jumped off the bridge. Mm-hmm. And everybody would say, why in the world did that happen? You know, this is a perfect kid, a perfect kid. And I usually thought, I know why. I know why. That boy, that girl, didn't feel they dared to tell the people they loved. Right, and because shame is all about identity. It's who you think you are, not what you think you've done, but who you think you are. Right. How else to get rid of it? I have these feelings inside of me, and everybody says they're wrong. What am I going to do? Exactly, yeah. So it seems like a logical conclusion, but as Joel Burns said... Don't do it, because there's more yet to come, and it's going to get better. So we'll be back in just a few minutes with more from Don Clark. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. America is facing a skilled workforce shortage. Skills USA can help. What is Skills USA? Skills USA is life changing. Skills USA is awesome. Skills USA is one of the biggest opportunities life can give you. Skills USA is amazing. Skills USA is motivating. Skills USA specifically prepares you for the workforce. Skills USA empowers students to connect with a network of people, starting with their classmates, to their advisors, to other people in their states. Skills USA allows students to connect with business and industry, to manage their education, and to really get a feel of the real world. I'm doing something now that's going to be applicable in the real world, and those skills are going to be useful today in school and in five years when I'm working and for the rest of my life. On the web at skillsusa.org. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with Great Spirit. 
How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tong has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. You live for the firsts in your child's life. But how do you cope with the firsts that come after your child is diagnosed with cancer? CureSearch.org connects you to the doctors and scientists whose collaborative research has turned childhood cancer from a nearly incurable disease to one with an overall cure rate of 78%. CureSearch.org. You're not as alone as you feel. Brought to you by CureSearch and the Ad Council. to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're on our final segment today talking with Don Clark, the author of Loving Someone Gay and his recent memoir called Someone Gay. And we've been talking about uh, the whole issue of the bullying and uh, how, what, how homophobia works and all of that. So now I want to talk a little bit about religion and homophobia and, and the whole issue of gays, lesbians, bisexuals, and transgendered persons. It tends to be, the religious upbringing tends to be, for the GLBT population at large, a traumatic experience. Do you agree with that? Mm. I most certainly do agree with that. <clears throat> uh, you know, sociologically, the um, the reason why the various religions <clears throat> and the various governments are so much in the uh, bedrooms of people where they really have no business being is because if they can if they can uh, license, if they can issue a license to you saying it's okay to have sex now or it's not okay to have sex now. They have a lot of power. It gives them a huge amount of power. Uh, this is something that was learned a long, long, long time ago, centuries and centuries ago, by both religions and uh, state governments, that, uh, that they really need to control this if they're not going to lose control of the population. The amount of damage done is incredible. The Catholic Church alone... Starting with the Pope and right on down. First of all, it's largely agreed among gay people that the church would be out of business if it weren't for the gay people who uh, are drawn to uh, the spirituality of it as children and who later enroll as nuns and priests and uh, altar boys and what have you to uh, lay people 
to keep it going. The same in other religions, of course. Uh, there, there are some that are... <laughs> uh, I'm laughing. Uh, my wife and I got married at the Ethical Culture Society in New York City when we lived there, and somebody at the time said it's as close to... Having a, it's a religion. It's like having a religion without a religion. Yeah. <laughs> without religion, but the more uh, heavy the religion is, the more it tries to own your interface with sexuality. The Catholic Church does a huge amount of damage to gay people because the official word is you're bad, you're a sinner. You know, maybe love the sinner, whatever, but you're a sinner. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. Ditto for many of the others, the uh, Latter-day Saints, etc. <clears throat> in fact, when Proposition 8 was on the ballot here not too long ago, invalidating my marriage for the second time, uh, my husband and I have been married so many times, it's, it's beginning to be a habit. <laughs> but we, <clears throat> we, we decided we might as well stay together. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, when Prop 8 in California was on the ballot, and there was a huge amount of propaganda, of course, on the television, newspapers, etc., uh, advertising, after it was all said and done, and Prop 8 won, and our marriage was invalidated once again, and the uh, people come through the ashes and the fine print, they discovered that it was paid for, the support of Prop 8 was paid for by the Mormons, and the Catholic Church, who were not even in California. Now, you know, go figure, right? Yeah, exactly. Except they need to feel, they need to try to be in control. Otherwise, they lose their grip. If they say, you know, do what you need to do sexually as long as you're not hurting anyone, right? they lose their power. Right. Absolutely. And, the, you know, uh, we started off the show talking about how Ricky Martin felt that his journey into coming out was a spiritual journey, and you agreed that that was true. And so if we've got, on the one hand, the coming out that is truly a depth experience with something real inside yourself and a very spiritually and poignant, a spiritual and poignant experience, on, so that's on the one hand. On the other hand, we've got religion telling uh, gays and lesbians and bisexual and transgender persons that they're going to be that they are wrong for being who they are, not oh, what they're goodness. doing for being who they are. Then, you know, we've 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 got a real tumultuous situation there where a person has to choose between religion and spirituality without knowing that the journey toward coming out is going to be a spiritual experience. Yeah, we have to. We have to. It's something we're a long ways from learning still is that. Uh, developing your spirituality is extremely important, and gay people are drawn to spiritual matters hugely. But religion, the business of religion, is a different matter. Mm-hmm. It does not. It it does not always interface with spirituality. Right, right, and certainly, I want to be clear that uh, I'm not saying that religion is bad, just like that. I don't want them to say that gay people are, are gays and lesbians or bisexual transgender persons are bad. But at the same time, this the idea that one group of people gets to tell another group of people who they are and define them. Well, religions that don't harm anybody are wonderful. Mm-hmm. But religions that purposely harm other people, are they're not good. Yeah, yeah. Harm is harm, isn't it? Yeah. 
And the first rule is do no harm. That's <laughs> exactly true. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, you know, and I, if, I wonder if there's anyone out there listening who does have an issue with homophobia, if the whole idea that coming out, the coming out process is a spiritual process, could possibly put a few little uh, chinks in that armor of homophobia because it, it, uh, if, if a spiritual experience can be had through anything, through a crisis in health, a crisis in, um, you know, a job, a crisis in money, or a crisis in a person's sexual orientation yeah. fitting into this world, it's still a spiritual experience. Yes, and, you know, do not... It, it, do not let a spiritual opportunity go by, and definitely if that spiritual opportunity has to do with becoming who you more becoming more of who you truly are, uh, that would be really genuinely sinful to turn your back on that. Yep, absolutely. And and that brings us to some of the mythologies that we have about the whole uh, structure. I don't want to say structure. The whole idea of what gays, lesbians, bisexuals, and transgender persons are. Uh, you talk a little bit about that in, in uh, Loving Someone Gay. One of those that you pointed out was that a lot of people think that very few people are gays and lesbians, and you can always tell. Can say <laughs> something about that. Yeah, and if that were true, they wouldn't be so shocked every time another celebrity comes out. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Or or somebody that they were dating comes out, or you know, yes, absolutely. You know, at the very opening of the show, you were uh, you commented on uh, a record-breaking number of gay people elected to Congress, mm-hmm. and I I I made a mental note. I was going to say, do you mean a record-breaking number of admittedly gay people? Openly, did I not say openly? <laughs> okay, <laughs> thank you for that correct note. Yeah, openly gay people, absolutely. Because we are, are everywhere. Gay. Yeah, absolutely. I had I knew somebody one time who said, if all the gay people in the world, gays, lesbians, bisexuals, and transgender persons in the world, suddenly turned green, yeah, the world would change entirely <laughs> because it would be amazing how many people out there were gay and lesbian. And and in some cities, I I, I live in the Bible Belt of the United States, and in some cities there's a huge subculture of gays, lesbians, bisexuals, and transgender persons because they have to be a subculture to be okay, to be safe. And and yet, they are there everywhere, running large corporations, making huge financial decisions, very smart, intelligent, giving, kind, passionate, compassionate people. So there it is. And I guess as close to that uh, turning green as you can get is living in San Francisco. There you go. (laughs) It really doesn't matter. Yep, and that's wonderful to be in a place like that. I'm so glad you're able to live there. You know, I I hate to close out this conversation. I have really enjoyed talking with you, Don, and we're going to have to do it again sometime. Okay, Andrea. And we'll be back again next week, so stay tuned for more from Authentic Living. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.